Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blackwood Show. The Black, the Black, the Black, Black. Welcome to the Blackwood Show. I am Taylor Blackwood, and this is my show. Big disclaimer to begin today's episode. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used for investment decisions. It's not investment advice because we're going to spend this entire podcast talking about the markets and what's going on and how I'm investing, i.e. how you might invest. So again, uh, I'm going to give a lot of opinions and I'm going to talk kind of openly about those things. Uh, Please don't sue me. (laughs) <laughs> but anyways, jumping into it, this has been a wild ride for the markets. I've been getting a lot of people hitting me up asking for how to how to handle it. And there's a lot of events going on, and it's one of the most complicated environments I've ever approached in my personal investment since I began ooh, 12, 15 years ago, uh, really getting more involved with stocks and things like this. Uh, people are asking questions, everything from real estate, which has been in a huge run up, uh, to stocks, to crypto and everything in between. And we've seen big declines in these major categories. And we're basically in a bear market with signs of a possible recession, inflation, obviously out of control. And that's top of mind for everyone. The political environment's really, really scary. I mean, the most obvious thing is that we have the war in the Ukraine. And it's almost a shame to talk about the economic impact of that, because the human impact is so great. The war is always just disgusting. And my heart breaks for what's going on for the innocent people in the Ukraine who are being targeted by this. That's just a scary situation. Um, but, you know, on this podcast, we're going to focus in on the economic impacts of it and, um, you know, what, what this uncertainty and, and geopolitical uh, uncertainty can bring, especially when war gets involved. And, uh, and the one that's kind of top of mind for everyone is, is China going to do something similar and go after Taiwan? So there's all these events going on. There's political events. There's uh, macroeconomic indicators that are really, really scary. And there's unprecedented uh, uh, good things going on in the economy too, that the consumer may have the opportunity to get healthier than ever before, especially through uh, workers being able to command more in wages than ever before as well as better work conditions. You're seeing the rise of the quote unquote gig, gig economy or you know people having a, a side hustle or another way of making income, passive income. I think the average person's getting better educated than ever before on investing and things like this, which makes this one of the most interesting times in my young career uh, for investing and, and making decisions. So without further ado, let's jump into it. I thought an interesting place to start might be uh, with the crypto markets, because lots of you I know are invested in crypto. I get lots of questions about it. And even if you're not personally invested, it's a really interesting topic for us to touch on. Uh, The first thing I'll say about is that my personal crypto holdings have gotten crushed. If you guys are regular listeners to my show, you know in all investing that I'm a long-term investor. I look for uh, companies, or in this case, projects that I believe in for the long term and that I think are going to be more valuable later in my life for retirement. Uh, I should back up and take one quick step backwards. If you haven't heard my personal finance episodes, the uh, too long don't read is to always secure a really healthy emergency fund so that you don't have to ever tap investments. And then I'm a big advocate for investing after that and to keep a long-term point of view. I'm not really good at day trading. I've never been good at 
these 10 X's. I mean, I've missed out on GameStop and all these different things we've talked about on the podcast because that's just not part of my investing style. I'm kind of an aggressive investor relative to like someone who just indexes in the S and P. Like I like picking individual stocks. I like growth companies and things like this. Uh, but I'm not one of these people who sees a glitch in the market or reads charts and does technical analysis and tries to promise people you're going to double your portfolio this year or something. I'm more like trying to get in that 15 to 20% range long-term, maybe uh, outperform in the good times and not do quite as bad. And the bad is kind of my goal. And uh, um, with that in mind, the crypto projects that I've really gotten into and what I've talked to you guys about on these podcasts before is largely Bitcoin and Ethereum and then some altcoins, things like Cosmos and a couple other big projects, Solana and uh, Ethereum mimickers and things like this uh, that I kind of got involved in. And my personal portfolio is way down. I mean, I'm down to maybe 40, looks like this is about 40% of my all-time highs <laughs> is where my portfolio sits today. So I've lost 60% since November set. November 9th was the peak for me last year in 2021. So November 9th, I peaked. And since then, I've lost about 60%. I mostly hold Ethereum and Bitcoin. Those are about, well, I'd say 45 and 45% of my portfolio. And then some other major holdings on here, just reading down the list. I got Solana. I got Cosmos. I got some Polygon on here. Interesting. Cardano. Man, that's really crashed down too. Solana had a crazy run for a bit. It's like an Ethereum uh, competitor that's trying to build a platform that you can build on top of. And they've had a lot of outages and things. So what do I think of the crypto market? Uh, there's a famous adage that you only see who's swimming naked when the tide rolls out. It's Warren Buffett said it first, but everyone's been repurposing it onto TikTok and all these meme pages now. So it's probably something you guys are familiar with. But what you're seeing here is that that unbridled optimism and almost like that gambling mentality of I'm going to you know, 1000 X my investment in some coin. And then they, all these people were investing in it and getting 50 X returns in a matter of months and these crazy things. And because of that, all these people started to FOMO in and now there's all these shysters promoting the new coin. And what happens during those periods is the returns get bigger at the same time that uh, people, people take on things deeper on the risk curve, right? So they take on more risk chasing those gains right when the the multiples and the money available in the quote unquote coin caps on these different projects are reaching all times high all time highs and sprinting you know they're exponentially growing they're reaching heights that no one ever thought was possible and when that happens people start to FOMO more and more. They start to see other people getting wealthy from this. They start to hear these anecdotes of someone turning $10,000 into, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. I mean, there was one case of someone with that Shiba Inu coin who ended up with like $4 billion. And I want to say his initial investment was like 10 grand or something. Just like some of the most insane returns you've ever heard in any asset class in human history, especially given the time period uh, were happening in the crypto space. So it definitely had the most disconnect from fundamentals. Now, what do I think of cryptocurrency in general? I've talked about this on this podcast before. There's some high quality things that can happen with cryptocurrency. The idea of decentralized finance is ingenious. Uh, the blockchain technology is very efficient and definitely, I think it's safe to say that it's here to stay. And if you want to be a crypto investor, you better brace yourself for some volatility. So if this downturn so far has you nervous, you may have found the wrong arena to be in or you've misallocated too much. So again, keep your crypto investments reasonable has always been my advice. This isn't something that I would ever tell someone to be 100% in. I don't know enough about it that way. Uh, and again, this isn't financial advice for entertainment purposes only, but I like to keep cryptocurrency to less than 5% or less 
than all of your invest investable assets, right? So, you know, after your house and all these different things, you know, look at your brokerage account, your retirement accounts, things like this. Cryptocurrency should be less than 5% of that, in my opinion. And the way I like to run the portfolio again is somewhere between 40% Ethereum to 45% Ethereum. Again, 40% to 45% Bitcoin, and then have some fun with the remaining balance, whatever that works out to be, whether it's 10 or 20%. Pick some projects you like, like Solana, Cosmos, maybe even a couple that I don't know anything about. And have some fun with them. So what do I think of the crypto market? You know, I've talked about on this podcast before that it, it, although it theoretically should be decoupled from the stock market, should be this different thing. The big players in it also have exposure to the stock market and therefore cryptocurrencies become like a, a risk on asset, if you will, almost like leveraging a stock portfolio and high growth stocks and volatile assets and securities. So I think that you need to watch uh, crypto in your portfolio because it is is just going to do a magnified version of what's going on in the stock market most days. And it's kind of shocking how much it's moved in tandem with the stock market during this volatile period. So when the stock market, you know, the S&P 500 is a proxy of the stock market, when it drops 10% in the matter of a month or two, cryptocurrency is down 40% because the same people who are big players in the stock market start to go risk off. And one of the first things they do is they sell their riskiest assets, i.e. crypto. Now, everything I just said is totally decoupled from the actual merits of cryptocurrencies, in particular a project like Ethereum, which is my favorite of all the cryptocurrencies, because it still has real use cases and some value, some intrinsic value that's separate from it being a risk on asset that hedge funds are speculating in and retail investors are speculating in and driving up. So I think for for the, or I'll say this, I'll say that it's the best case you can make in human history that cryptocurrencies are here to stay. You know, there was a good uh, um, argument to be made even as recently as three years ago that cryptocurrencies could be banned by major governments or might totally fizzle out or something like this. I really do think that cryptocurrencies are here to stay. And it's not something we're going to look back on 20 years from now and say, boy, that was weird. I can't believe that was a thing for 10, 12 years since Bitcoin was invented. And now it's totally gone. I don't think that'll be the case. And I think that the blue chips will always be there. So I would keep on uh, in these downturns. The general advice I'm going to give today is that you need to be uh, fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Now, it's too late for us to be fearful when others were greedy and the signs were all too obvious last year that people were getting really, really greedy. Uh, That was the time to be fearful and maybe get some more dry powder. If you're trying to time the markets a little bit instead of just a raw DCA robotic strategy, that was a good time to maybe hold back some investment and things like this. Now, hindsight's 2020, you don't have a time machine, but what you can do is stay productive right now, create more investable assets for yourself. I generate more money at work or from your company or whatever. And as long as you have a good emergency buffer in case, you know, something happened, lose your job, your company stops performing as well and you just stop taking a paycheck, whatever. As long as you have that buffer, this is a good time to actually go up the curve in risk, in my opinion, and to be a little aggressive and to be a little greedy when other people are fearful. And crypto is a cool way if you want to get some quick returns. I think that Ethereum is going to pop back quicker than some of these stocks and things like this when the tide turns. Now, when will the tide turn and what's going on in the world is a very complicated thing and no one has a crystal ball. But my read on this is that it's not quite as bad as everyone would have you believe. So what do I mean by that? And now we'll start to broaden the topic from just cryptocurrencies and into everything else that's going on. I called inflation on this podcast. If you guys are um, uh, regular listeners, it was pretty early in the pandemic, maybe like August of 2020, that I was talking on a podcast about how I, I thought 
you need to zoom out during these unprecedented times. There's all this fear. And I think you need to look at the fundamentals and say there's an unprecedented amount of money being printed. Therefore, asset prices will increase and there will be incredible inflation was my argument. Well, I way undershot that even, right? Like this, the, the amount of inflation has even surprised me. And I was stunned that they did more rescue packages towards the end of coronavirus, which only, whether you're a fan of it or not politically, or whether even it was a good thing or not for the people that those uh, rescue plans helped and things like this, uh, it definitely drove inflation even higher than I could have predicted in August of 2020. So back then, my advice was upgrade your house, take on some d- secured debt, especially with interest rates at uh, historic lows, I was arguing. Uh, that was a good environment to start to uh, um, take on some some conservative assets because there's still a pandemic going on. We didn't know which way that might turn, uh, but some conservative assets. And I, and I definitely took my own advice. You know, I upgraded my house, got a mortgage on it um, at those old interest rates now. Um almost wish I'd done more behind sites 2020. Right. But you know, it, it, that was a good time to buy assets and uh, lock in debt and things like this. Well, now you have interest rates climbing and it's a totally different environment than back then uh, for what to accumulate and why. And it makes for complicated calls for sure. You know, that with the inflation thing, I called that it, we would have big inflation. It was even a little bit bigger than I thought it would be. But the response to it's been a little bit different than I thought. Because on the podcast, I was just advising don't be in cash, which obviously if you've been in cash, it's almost been a good thing compared to some of the markets and stuff like that, I guess. But but I was just saying, don't be in cash, be in real estate, be in REITs, be in you know even commodities, be in stocks even, because cash is just going to get devalued by inflation. You're not going to have as be able to purchase as much tomorrow with it as you can today. Anyways, uh, the, the interesting things that I think that so far inflation has been priced into the market and the way it can damage it. But the one thing that isn't really accounted for, in my opinion, is that inflation does inflate asset prices as well. So it's weird that the stocks haven't had more counteracting of effect from that. Now you can make a good argument that thing that the price multiples, i.e. how expensive stocks were getting was getting way out of hand and they were in a bubble and due for a bit of a correction. But I can't, I think it's becoming an asymmetric bet that it's more likely to rebound a little bit from here, making buying stocks and things like this a good idea right now. Uh, then, then it's likely that they're going to decrease dramatically again, i.e. another 20%, 40% drop from here. In my opinion. Now, this is a really weird economy. There's all sorts of smart people. You know, Jamie Dimon classically said we have an economic hurricane coming in from the coast. Now he, you know, kind of hedged his bet with, we don't know if it's Hurricane Sandy or something smaller, which is his way of saying, we don't know if it's devastating or if it's just going to rain a little bit. But he's basically saying this isn't a rosy environment. You should batten down the hatches a little bit. And I'd encourage the same. And let's talk about that for a minute. The best thing that you can do in today's environment, in my opinion, is continue to be productive. The people who are most screwed by today's macroeconomics, without a doubt, are people who are retired. And that's a really sad fact. But if you're staying productive in an economy that's really inflation heavy, that means that your earnings power goes up through the roof and things like this. Whereas the hardest position to be in is if you're retired or not working for some reason and you're just living off of savings and your purchasing power is decreasing dramatically because of unexpectedly high or, or historically high inflation. That's a really scary environment to be in. It can really screw people who are trying to be retired and, and not have to go back to work. So my biggest advice to you all is to be productive in this environment. And another asymmetric bet is to get real secure in your income through this period. Because 
I don't condone timing markets, but it is good to have some dry powder and be able to get aggressive when there's a downturn. So how do those two things work together? Well, you can't, if you're timing markets, then you can sell assets and go to cash and things like this. And then you'll be able to buy things cheaper in the future. But that almost never pans out for people. I mean, now people are coming out of the woodworks going, oh, of course, I, I knew it was going to crash and stuff like this. Why didn't they have shorts in then? You know, why didn't they have bear indexes that they would benefit from and their portfolio would go up? And it's because they didn't truly know with 100% conviction. No one truly knows which way the market's going to go. So I tried to stay pretty heavily invested. You know, if you're going to time the market at all, it shouldn't be a big, significant portion of your portfolio, maybe like 5 to 10% of it or something like this should be held in cash, quote unquote, timing the market. But that's one of the best recipes for underperforming because like I was scared of macroeconomic stuff back in 2014, 2016 again, 2019 comes to mind just times that I was really thinking the asset prices were inflated and look at how much I would have missed up off on if I'd gone to cash or something crazy like that. So anyways, my advice is to stay productive during this period. The people I worry the most for are the people who are buying into this great resignation stuff that's going on. That's a trend I really don't like. I love that um, laborers are getting more power, which is kind of a weird thing for someone who's an employer like myself to say, because classically everyone thinks that I should want, you know, to be able to hire people cheaply and things like this, but that's not the way I look at it. As an employer confident in my ability to compete, I want the strongest consumer possible. I want people to have as much money as possible because I'm confident that they'll enjoy my services and that I'll be more competitive than other services in the United States or in the economy and that I'll be able to compete for those extra dollars they have. The worst thing to me are, uh, you know, people who get like incomes uh, that are just a drag on society that eat up people's purchasing power or people who are extreme savers and things like this are bad from an economic standpoint, not from a personal finance standpoint, but from an economic standpoint, because they keep money from moving around. I want as, as a, as a entrepreneur, I want as much money moving around in the economy as possible because I'm confident that I can compete and get some of that. So I, I, I get in arguments all the time with other business owners and things like this about this, but I want laborers to be really, really strong, right? I want everyone who works for me to be able to command a lot of money and for me to have to pay it. Uh, Cause then, you know, logically I'll have stronger consumers out there also, and I can compete and raise my prices or whatever and, and still get my share of it. So anyways, I love seeing a strong consumer. I love people having negotiating power, but I don't love this great resignation thing. I think it's cutting too deep. And I particularly don't love the people who are using the great resignation as a reason to not have a job in this environment. I think that is a huge asymmetric bet that's going to hurt them, right? Because there is a good chance that we go into a pretty strong recession here, as Jamie Dimon said. I personally think it's not going to be a terrible one because everyone's predicting it. <laughs> Most of the time, it's the things that surprise you that put you in deep recessions, not the thing that everyone sees coming. But anyways, if, in the event that there is a recession in any case, it's a really bad idea to only have a six month track record with your new employer three months. Those are the people who get laid off first. Those are the people whose position gets cut. They're the less, the least secure. So there might be some job hopping that's benefiting people with getting a higher salary or sign on bonus or something right now, but be careful in today's environment. I think uh, loyalty to employers a little bit under, it's not popular right now. It's not the cool thing. It's not in vogue, but some of those people who are taking it to an extreme and job hump, hopping every nine months and crazy stuff like this during the pandemic, I think this is when they could really get burnt. You know, so far it's looked like a good idea and their salaries have been increasing or whatever. And you see those anecdotal stories, but I think they could really get burnt in the upcoming environment. So my broader point to bring it back home is to stay productive during this, get into a stable job you can count on with a lot of growth opportunity and keep generating income 
during this next economic environment because it could go sideways or down from here a little bit and you want to have some dry powder to buy if that's the case. Now, if I really thought that there's going to be a deep crash from here, the most logical thing would be for me to sell or to short the market and try to catch that falling knife, so to speak. And I really don't see that. I think that inflation, again, is damaging for the consumer and some of these growth companies in particular, and them raising interest rates is a really problematic thing. Uh, but I also see advancement in tech uh, on a scale that's bigger than ever before. And there's better information being spread. There's smarter entrepreneurs than ever before. I am stunned by the quality of minds and what they know on TikTok and things like this even. And people want to belittle them and go TikTok entrepreneurs, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, these are really clever people making a lot of money and making successful businesses at younger and younger ages than was historically possible. And that's something to be respected. And what you got to realize with that is that technology is moving forward faster than ever before. It's enabling people in ways it never has before. And technology is deflationary. And that's an important thing. I talk about, you know, forces that drive up a certain factor and forces that work against it. Uh, one force that works against inflation, you know, the thing that's been driving it up is money supply, all the pandemic stimulus, stuff like this. The thing that's working against it in the, in the background that people have difficulty quantifying is the deflationary effects of technology. And I think that that's going to help the Fed to keep a lid on runaway inflation, all things being equal. Now, if you look at the economy, another thing I like to watch are jobs. Uh, there's one scary factor that I'm keeping a close eye on. I'll keep updating you guys on this podcast and that I encourage you to track and that's layoffs. But so far, the layoffs are making headlines, but they're at companies like Peloton, which I'm not a big Peloton fan. You guys haven't heard me talk about it much on this podcast because I don't own any of it. And uh, I get that it had a big run up, but I don't think it's a very viable long term company and they way overgrew. So I'm not surprised they, they're using this as some cover to do some layoffs. Um, but some notable companies I do respect, like Amazon. Um, who else? Well, I guess Tesla just made headlines. I don't own any Tesla personally directly. I guess I do through some index funds, but I don't uh, own any Tesla directly, but like they're doing a hiring freeze and some layoffs and stuff. But like Amazon's doing a, uh, I believe a hiring freeze or at least slowing down the positions they're approving. So there's some big employers you should pay attention to that aren't hiring people as aggressively. But last month's uh, job report that just printed this last week uh, surprised on the upside. It actually was stronger than economists forecast. So those are kind of, uh, um, con they kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, contradict each other. Yeah. They kind of contradict each other that you're hearing about these layoffs. And if you just read the news, you would think there's massive layoffs at all these great companies that must be spreading. But in reality, jobs were added during that month. And what's happening is that layoffs are occurring in certain sectors so far. So tech that had outstanding growth and above average growth is, is kind of having an above average, um, contractions now and decrease in their price and their, in their multiples and in their, um, overall market capitalizations. And because of that, they're having to right size. And instead of being able to grow aggressively and costs don't matter, now they're having to watch their costs carefully. And what you find is that there's a lot of slack in companies that grow quickly with people who aren't as productive as in other companies. So layoffs are kind of inevitable. So anyways, that's kind of what's going on in the tech center. And ironically, they have people who are jumping jobs like crazy, like programmers and things like this have been in ultra hot demand. So you know, this, this may be where my advice about layoffs kind of comes in is to, you know, be careful about jumping jobs too often right now, even if an offer looks enticing, because you don't want to be on the wrong end of that stick. I did see a profile this last week in Bloomberg, it was in Bloomberg, where a guy had left a really secure programming job at a big tech name. And he went to like, 
oh, some payment processing company deal. And uh, he was hired then within three months laid off and he was furious about it because they made all these representations to him and he left his old job and now they're on a hiring freeze at the old company. So he can't go back there. It's kind of like, yeah, this is, this is a bad time to do job hopping in, in my opinion, in this environment, it's just an asymmetric risk compared to the upside. Um, so anyways, you know, we're starting to see that, uh, there are some layoffs, but the, the other indicator there being the, the overall job growth is increasing still. So, Unemployment held steady. Uh, the jobs created in the economy are like in the 300,000s off the top of my head. You know, th that was an impressive month, again, that uh, outpaced what the economists were thinking. And that's a healthy sign that consumers are going to be able to have jobs and have money to meet this, these inflated prices. The worst thing that could happen to us from here is stagflation. And that's what we're watching for in this podcast, y'all. And that's what I'm going to be updating you guys on would be stagflation, which is inflation with a recession at the same time. And the reason that's so problematic is goods are getting more expensive and people don't have jobs to earn money to pay for them. And that's where economic activity slows down, but you end up in a trap where uh, the, the prices continue to spiral. And that could be a real issue. The other thing that we're watching are wage inflation spirals where consumers are able to demand more money, which is a good thing in balance. But uh, that means that they can also buy more stuff with more money. So people are able to raise prices. So they do. And you get into this vicious cycle of uh, corporations raising prices and people demanding more money from corporations to be able to pay for them. And, and they get uh, into inflation that way. That can be a bit of a problem. And that's why you see the Fed come out and, and call for uh, people to not give raises and to slow down wage growth and stuff, which by the way, what a ridiculous pie on their face thing to do. I mean, they're looking at spreadsheets way too much to put their finger on that scale, but you know, it's their job or whatever to decrease inflation. So they're kind of quote unquote talking their book and trying to use reflexivity or the theory that if they convince everyone not to do this thing, then it, that thing won't happen in reality. But I just thought that was a terrible look for them and a terrible talking point to say that there shouldn't be wage growth was just kind of atrocious for the Fed to come out against and very uh, out of touch with people. I think it's dangerous when you get people like that making big decisions who are that disconnected from the, you know, the quote unquote average person or typical person worker and an honest hard worker doesn't need the Fed saying don't raise their wages. I thought that was ridiculous because again, I'm kind of pro people making more money. But anyways, um, that's, I think what they were worried about was this wage spiral. So we're watching for that too, y'all. We want to make sure, although I like the idea of wages increasing the, the downside that we have to watch for is, is there a wage inflation spiral that could really, uh, throw us into a more dire economic situation, but stocks are forward working. So they're trying to price in all this risk and they've really cut deep so far. You know, the drops that we've seen, particularly in the NASDAQ are really, are really great right now great meaning like they're, they're large right now. And I, I hate to try to sound like I'm calling something, but I, I'm starting to get more bullish about building positions. And that's the way I've been behaving is I've been buying uh, and adding more money to my brokerage account and things like this and this environment. Cause I mean, if you look at like the NASDAQ or the tech index, uh, the start of the year close to 16,000. So Monday, Jan 3rd, January 3rd, we're at 15,832 and we hit a low in the let mid 11,000s. Here's an 11,264 on Tuesday, May 24th, and it's rebounded up to 12,000 now. Um, but that's still negative 24% year to date, even though it's rebounded a little bit. That's a pretty deep sell off for there being inflationary um, environment. So again, you know, inflation 
should drive these asset prices higher, all things being equal. Some of that sell-off is healthy because tech had probably gotten a little bit overvalued, i.e., you know, too much future growth was priced in and people got too optimistic and drove the market caps too high. But we're kind of getting to that point now where it's like, okay, it's probably going to start to find some support. People are making more money than ever before, so they're going to have some disposable income and they're more educated than ever before, so they're going to want to invest disproportionately, all of which is good for the individual person. And I think that people are going to start to support this and grow from here. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I'd say that this is a good time. To, I mean, I'm starting to buy again. Now, famous last words, this could just be, you know, the the beginning of a deep fall or, you know, we could go sideways even worse than this. But at the beginning of this year, I called for kind of an up and down market, i.e. a sideways market where we'd be within a band of like I said, I think negative 10 percent positive 5% and we'd end the year kind of flat. Well, obviously it's been much more pronounced down so far, but I still am kind of optimistic that the markets might return and end the year somewhat flat, at least within negative 10% of where they started and like the S and P 500 or something like that. It's just really my gut feeling is that there's a lot of positive things here with strong consumers, uh, demanding better quality of work and better jobs, pent up demand from the pandemic. And the biggest thing that's been driving inflation that I do think is getting solved right now is people are going back to work, especially when they're fearful of inflation and fearful of a recession. You're going to find these people getting back to work more. And that's going to fix up our supply chains because the supply chains have not been able to meet this artificially increased demand with all the stimulus money. And that's what's causing a lot of this inflation. That was why the Fed argued it was transitory. And although I thought that was a nonsense argument, and of course that didn't pan out, I do think that now the supply chains are getting fixed to the point where inflation could start to ease and we could see the worst inflation start to see it correct, which would be a really bullish thing. Now, what everyone's asking for is a quote unquote soft landing. They're saying, and this is a literal quote, that they want the Fed to thread the needle and to raise interest rates enough to cool the inflation, but not enough to spur a recession and kind of just make a a soft landing for the economy. That's a really difficult thing to do, but I don't think they're going to way screw it up. I don't think that they're going to way overshoot it or undershoot it in a way that we're going to have a bad recession or terrible inflation. I think that it's going to be a little bit messy, but they're going to get pretty close to the target. And with some of these other strong factors, not the least of which that people have been really pent up during the pandemic and want to get back out and want to spend and want to live. I think you may see a pretty decent economic environment from here. It's just my gut feeling. So I'm kind of going to, I'm going to mark bull from this situation. And I may learn to eat those words. Again, this isn't financial advice or investing advice for entertainment purposes only, but I'm starting to invest a little more and I'm starting to, I'm starting to take a little bit more of a bullish stance. Cause again, you have to be greedy when people are fearful and fearful when people are greedy. And right now everyone's fearful. So y'all let's get greedy. Now, what do I think for the economy and what I think for entrepreneurs is a little bit of a different discussion as well. Again, during crisis, there's always uh, unforeseen opportunities. And when people look back, I told you all this during the pandemic, that there's going to be crazy advances in healthcare because never before have we had the greatest minds in the world united trying to find and advance technologies to cure disease. And there's going to be all sorts of crazy offshoots and innovations from that investment and that focus. Uh, I think the same is going to be true from inflation, that this is going to be a difficult environment for um, uh, blue chip businesses and kind of quote unquote boring businesses that we're all used to and consumers are familiar with, but innovative businesses and entrepreneurs looking for a new opportunity to start an interesting startup. This is going to be a crazy environment for them. And there's going to be some really big winners. So keep that attitude when you're approaching entrepreneurship, when you're approaching the economy 
uh, whenever there's disruption, whenever there's a crazy environment, it's that quote I love from Game of Thrones, chaos is a ladder. And that's especially true uh, in environments like this, that keep an eye on entrepreneurship plays that can help the consumer with inflation. Maybe apps or websites that help people navigate where to buy different things or to track inflation and, and to have perspective on what uh, what the costs are around them or things that help to ease inflations in a B2B setting and things like this so that businesses can make more educated decisions about how to navigate these environments uh, and everything in between. I mean, there's all sorts of opportunity that can come from it. And I'm not telling you exactly what to do. And I'm not going to you know, say, here's a great business to get into or something like that. But what I will say more broadly is that whenever there's chaos like this, there's also opportunity. So for you young entrepreneurs or someone looking for something new out there, like one of my best friends is retiring from his job, uh, having sold his company and done real well, you know, he's probably gonna be looking for something to do. And I would encourage, first of all, take some time and pat yourself on the back and celebrate cause you killed it and you won, you know, but once you're done with that and you're ready to get back to work, this is going to be a really unique environment with unique challenges. And if you think a little bit outside the box, you can be disproportionately rewarded for that. So anyways, that's kind of what I think about the economy. I'm starting to get uh, heavier into risk on assets. On the cryptocurrency front, we kind of touched on how it's a big risk on asset and that uh, you shouldn't put too much of your investable money into it. I said less than 5%, but I am buying again and I'm buying in particular Ethereum right now. Uh, not investment advice for entertainment purposes only, but that's what I'm doing. On stocks, I'm actually adding to my positions in particular risky ones that are oversold. And this week, I think I'm going to open, I'm going to buy some calls, meaning that uh, I would get disproportionately rewarded. Uh, and I'm doing uh, leaps, like long calls that are out, of the, you know, that are long dated for maybe a year or two out. And uh, they're bets that, you know, the an asset class or an index will go above a certain price, but I'm starting to get a little bit more risk on in my investing. And I'm definitely trying to stay productive and add money during this environment. Cause I do think that it's an asymmetric bet right now that I think there's a better likelihood that people are overstating the risks in the economy and that we're going to see a rebound in the medium tail, you know, something like a quarter or two here, that's going to be bigger than most people are predicting right now. I mean, whenever you see all these fearful articles uh, dominating the news cycle and all these different things, I think that's a good indicator that things might be turning soon because uh, you got to be careful not to trust that stuff too much. And again, the, I'd say the overall lesson I'd leave you with is be fearful when people are greedy and be greedy when people are fearful. So that's it for today. That's the show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share this with a friend who you think would uh, benefit from it. I know there are a lot of ways to entertain yourself, not the least of which are a bunch of great podcasts. So thank you for taking the time to listen to little old me. Talk at you soon.